Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, which is on page 975 of your pew Bibles. And together we're going uh, to to hear read um, the verses 16 through 26 as we continue our series in the fruit of the Spirit. So I invite you to stand as you're able. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. If you were king just for one day, what would you begin to do? Let me stretch that out just a bit further. If you were king, if you became king suddenly one day and you had years and years ahead of you, what would be one of the first things you would do as, uh, as emperor of a kingdom? Well, maybe you'd start looking for people to help serve alongside you. Maybe uh, you'd, uh, you'd look to put the land into order. But I wonder if any of us would think to do what King David did when he was on his throne. It's a passage I love, a passage which we read here in 2 Samuel uh, just a moment ago. Uh, David, as soon as he's king, as soon as there is any uh, sense of stability in his land, the first thing that he says, and he doesn't stop until he gets it, is he says, who is there in my kingdom to whom I might show the kindness of the Lord God. And he doesn't just look for anyone that he can just, uh, you know, choose as a token of, uh, of kindness. He looks in, in the place no one would expect it. He looks in his enemy's house. All of us know, if we've read 2 Samuel, what a pest uh, Saul and his kingdom was to David. How Saul was this great obstacle to David, the true king, being enthroned. But, but when David becomes rightful king, he looks at the, the line of Saul, who at this time is dead, and he says, who's left that I might show kindness from the Lord? And he sets his sights, he sets his heart on this uh, young man named Mephibosheth, who's crippled in a, in a forsaken corner of David's kingdom. 
And it's to that man that David just pours out kindness upon kindness, welcomes him to his table, serves him food, and gives him years of gladness, this cripple at the table of a king. Now, it's a beautiful picture. And I think what it really is, is meant to send us forward looking to Christ and looking to the fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness. That's what we're talking about today. That's what we're, we're looking at in God's Word. It's the fruit of kindness, which we heard mentioned there in Galatians chapter 5. What are the fruit of the Spirit? They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so we see that kindness is something uh, that is practiced uh, time and time again in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, we see it epitomized in David and in, in his, in his uh, reign. What is kindness? Kindness is practical care for others, motivated by a deep desire for their well-being. Kindness is that extended hand that reaches out with generosity, even when uh, by... It doesn't look like like that hand has to be extended. Even when that hand is extended to an enemy, it is practical care for others, motivated by a deep desire for their well-being. The kind of care that David showed Mephibosheth, that cripple in a God-forsaken corner of his kingdom. And God remembered Mephibosheth, and so did David. The question is, do we remember kindness? It's a fruit of the Spirit, But is it something that we practice? Is it something that you practice? Are you a kind Christian? And it's interesting because in the book of Acts, I I preach that that word Christian, that name Christian, came as a nickname that was given by the people from Antioch. The Christianoi were the Christ followers, the Christ people. It was kind of given as a pun, right? Like, oh, you people who always talk about Jesus, you're always the Christ people. But I want you to notice something. Christianoi was itself a little bit of a pun that uh, was pointing to another name, Christianoi, which is the kind ones, the kind ones. So that when people were called Christians, there was always ringing in their ears this other kind of pun, which is you're the people that are always the kind people, the, the goody two shoes, as it were. And I think we should embrace that as well. We should embrace not only the title Christian, but also the call that Christians would be kind, would be hospitable, would be reaching out as David reached out to Mephibosheth. And it would be this fruit that wells up in our hearts so much that it spills out to a world around us. I want us to look at this, this call to be kind by looking at cultural kindness, biblical kindness, and then a practical kindness that extends itself from the picture we see in the Bible. Let's look at this this morning. And, and my prayer is that you would be motivated uh, to be kind, to be a, uh, not only Christians, but not only Christianoi, but Christianoi, the kind ones. Kind because you have encountered the kindness of your Savior. Well, let's look at cultural kindness because you'll notice that the world around us talks a lot about kindness. You know, when I was growing up in middle school, there was the Random Acts of Kindness campaign. And they would remind us every morning, every Monday, remember this week, uh, just to, to do something kind for someone. And, uh, you know, of course, I'd remember that during the week. I'd, I'd see someone that, um, that was walking with, with maybe their shoe untied. I'd say, hey, your shoe's untied. And 
That was, that was my random act of kindness for the week, you know. Um, and uh, driving through Yellow Springs a few weeks ago, I saw this big sign over uh, the roadway. You couldn't miss it. It just said, just be nice. It's that simple. It's that simple. Is it really that simple? I see talk of kindness on bumper stickers, um, T-shirts, signs over roadways. Random act of kindness campaign, but I'm here to tell you this morning that I don't believe it's that simple. Uh, it, it's not that I want to be curmudgeon about this and say, oh, those campaigns are trash, but I want to push for something that reaches beneath surface level niceness. I want to push for something that is deep and true and genuine and, genuine and motivated by true kindness. You see, friends, why is kindness not so simple that you just do it? Just be nice. It's, it's not that simple because, friends, it's easy to do nice things when it makes us look good and feel good. But I wonder if we still do the same things when we're not getting anything out of the good deed. When no one's watching. When the recipient of the act is your enemy. Is it really so easy then? I think already you're starting to see, well, no, it's, it's not. You see, I've noticed over the course of my life that it's very easy to perfect a kind of surface level kindness. Everyone thinks you're a really nice guy. But then when you're one-on-one with your family or, you know, you're watching football, things can come out of your mouth that don't sound like the nice guy. And you wonder, well, where did that come from? Well, it came from deep within. It, it came from, from a place within me that wasn't motivated by um, a kind of what are people seeing? What are people saying? What are people uh, looking at when they, when they see me? When the little brother smashes your Legos for the fourth time in a row, are you ready to be kind then? Are you ready to extend practical care for others motivated by a deep desire for their well-being then? What about... Uh, when you're driving on the roadway and, and the person in front of you, you know, it's a 50 mile zone and they're going 20. Are you really ready to expend, extend practical care for others motivated by a deep desire for their well-being then? What's coming out of your mouth in such moments? And what's coming out of your mouth when there's no one else in the car but you? What are your thoughts saying about the person in the, in the car in front of you? What about when your favorite running back fumbles it on the one-yard line? What are you saying to him in that moment? Through the TV that he can't hear. You know, th- those, are, those are the kind of moments, right? It is funny. When, ki- <laughs> when kindness is put to the test. You see, here, here's what I'm suggesting. That so much of what we sell as kindness is really more of a manipulative thing. It's, it's, it's something that looks like a good deed. And there is something surface level good about it. But it's more concerned about looking good than doing good. Pandering to our inner security. I did something nice today. Check it off the list. And Romans chapter 3 verse 12 says this. So honest about our hearts, the Bible. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, no one does good, no, not one. What's it saying there? 
It's saying that even our best efforts to be kind are somehow deep within us, corrupted by some sort of a selfish and envious commitment. Somewhere deep within us, something has corrupted kindness so that it's more manipulative than serving. And that's clear because why? You can see it because it doesn't take too long when you're walking around the streets of Yellow Springs or anywhere else in this world for that matter to see that this world is quarrelsome, harsh, envious, shrill, nasty, and just plain mean. All you have to do is tick it off in the right kind of way. Push its buttons in a certain direction. And we're just like that, aren't we? Put in, in a certain kind of condition with difficult kinds of people We don't look like the nice guy or the nice girl uh, for very long. A cultural kindness that scripture says we need to pop that bubble. We need to address it for what it is. And we need to push for something deeper. You see, cultural kindness is there. The surface level kindness is there because of this deep inner insecurity in all of us. This deep sense that... uh, we are not right with God, that we are not right with our neighbors, but the way that we, we deal with that is surface level kindness. And the Bible says your kindness needs to go deeper than that. What does biblical kindness look like? You see, I think that these, this, all this talk about kindness and campaigns for kindness can actually be redeemed because the Bible talks about kindness a lot. In fact, kindness begins with God himself. There's a word that appears over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word hesed, hesed. And that word is translated in a bunch of different ways. In your Bible, you might notice that it's translated as um, steadfast love or faithfulness. But the King James Version, I think, does a good job with this particular word. It translates it loving kindness. Loving kindness. So you'll hear in Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Isaiah 63, 7. I love, I love this. Um, it says, I will recount the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness of to the house of Israel. You see, what what are these passages reminding us of? They're reminding us of what we already know this morning, that God is kind. He's a wonderfully kind God. He extends practical care for the children of mankind, deep compassion for the needy. Out of the deep inner security of his being, he provides good things, even to those who reject him. Acts 14, 6 through 17 says that throughout human history, God has left himself a witness even to those that reject him. And what is that witness? That he's done good things for them. He makes fields uh, rich with wheat for them. He sends rain upon the earth for them. Yes, even people that have rejected him and worshiped another God. God has been kind to you. There's no one in this, in this room who God has not been kind to. Given you relationships and gifts 
wonderful moments and memories and treasures. And the gospel. Yes, the incarnation, the coming of our Savior is the greatest demonstration of God's kindness. Titus 3, 4 tells us that. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. See what he's saying? God is saying, I was kind to you before you knew what kindness was. I extended practical care for you. Why? Because you desperately needed it. You had strayed from me. You'd you'd turned your back to me. And I pursued you out of a deep desire for your well-being. When we hear what God has done for selfish people like us, our immediate reaction, friends, needs to be, I repent of my sin. I repent of my selfishness. Lord, I believe in in Jesus Christ and what he did for sinners like me. Uh, May his work be credited to me and may he teach me true kindness. Let's look deeper at the kindness of our Savior. Two scenes that we see in Scripture. The first comes to us in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Going to see the kindness of our Savior as he kindly heals broken people. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. That Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, here is our savior. He's looking on a crowd of crippled and broken and helpless people. And notice how he moves towards them. It's not in some begrudging duty. All right, here you go. Here's some healing here. Here's some preaching there. No, he moves towards them with true kindness that desires their welfare. See, true kindness is motivated by a real compassion for those that need it. True kindness desires the welfare of others. And this is where we so often fall short. You know, it's easy to do a kind of kindness that's a duty, a random act here or there. Or when we, when we see someone that's in a really bad situation, we, we, we throw the dog bone here or there. But true kindness comes from a compassion that looks at people and says, you really, you really need help. And I want to help you. That is the kindness of our Savior. Do you know that that's how he looks on you? Looks on you as a sheep without a shepherd, as someone who, who needs help. And he says, I love you too much to leave you. Apart from my care and my capable healing hands. You know, in this time, the kind of people he was healing, lepers, they would go around saying, unclean, unclean. And and a lot like Mephibosheth, they were pushed away into some corner of the world. Somewhat like we push away the sick 
and the disabled into corners of hospitals. But Jesus, what does he do? He moves towards these people out of a deep desire for their welfare. And he heals them perfectly, fully. Everything he can do out of the rich resources of his inner being, he offers them and he offers us. And so that's the first snapshot I want you to see. I want you to see our Savior kindly healing the broken with a deep desire, a motivation for well-being in his heart for them. But then I also want you to see your Savior on the cross, kindly forgiving sins. What did Jesus say as he was strapped to the cross by sinners who had put him there? The words that come onto his his lips are shocking to us because what he says is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you realize that those words are words of great kindness? I'm not sure we often connect forgiveness with kindness. In fact, I think maybe that's one of the reasons why kindness is so soft-pedaled today. But true kindness is a forgiving kindness. Because here's why. All of us have sins in our lives that would kill most friendships if they were exposed to the world, if they were shown to those around us. You realize that each of us have sins and things that we've thought, things we've done, things that we've intended to do, that if they were put on a screen behind you would embarrass you so much that even your best friends would would shy away out of embarrassment and, and shame for what they've seen. Thomas Boston says this, if men knew my heart, I would not have four friends left in Scotland. Can you say that about yourself? What if the person next to you saw everything, everything in your heart, every detail, would they turn towards you Or would they flinch away from you? I think that if we're honest, if we embrace what scripture says about what's really in our hearts, we'd realize that most of our friends would flinch away from us and say, oh, that's what's in his heart. Oh, that's who she is. But on the cross, Jesus saw all of that. He knows all of that. He is God and man. And so he has your entire heart, every thought, every intention laid out before you. And he went to the cross knowing about each and every one of those things. And he, on the cross, died for those sins and said, Father, forgive them. You see, God laid your most embarrassing, humiliating sins on your Savior on the cross. Covering shame, not standing over you saying, gotcha. Or, oh, that's who you are. God said, I see, I see who you are. And out of true kindness, I turn towards you sinful people. And I'm not going to retreat. Now, that's true kindness. It's a healing kindness. It's a forgiving kindness that moves towards the broken and the selfish and the ugly. And it does not retreat. Now, this is the kind of kindness that our God calls us to take into our world. And and the way we do that is first, we have to receive that kindness into our souls. Have you drank deeply of that kindness from the cross? 
Do you see that? And you say, I need that. I need what Jesus did. I need that kindness to be for me. If so, then believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins and turn towards the Savior who who has turned toward you, not away from you. Grab a hold of him by faith and say, I'm not letting go. I need Jesus and no random acts of kindness of my own can save me from my sins. I need his kindness on the cross. Your Savior did not retreat from you. Don't retreat from him. Seek him out. Receive his kindness into your heart. And only then can you have that deep inner security that's not looking to to impress the world with your acts, but is really freed from that kind of slavish um, uh, approach to kindness and instead is freed to really love people for who they are. It's only when you have that deep inner security in yourselves from the Savior that you can um, really follow the command, yes, command of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, be kind. Be kind. Do you know that the Scriptures command you to be kind? I'm turning to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. That's where we hear this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Who do you need to show the kindness of the Lord to today? In a way, you are king starting now. You have been given by the great uh, God with with dignity, God with great dignity, uh, the chance to rule your life with kindness. And this God, full of kindness for you, calls you to extend kindness to even your enemies. Who do you need to extend that kindness to? Who do you need to go after in persistence like David went after Mephibosheth until you find someone and say, "That's, that's the person I need to move towards with the kindness of the Lord. Usually it's someone in your own house. Usually it's your wife, your husband, your roommate, your brother, your sister. And you need to extend to them practical care motivated by a deep desire for their well-being. How do you do that? I want to offer, finally, words on practical kindness. And these are not exhaustive. There's so much. There's books that could be written about how to practically extend kindness. But I just want to very briefly extend to you three ways in which I think we could together work on becoming more kind. People that are tender hearted, forgiving one another in Christ Jesus. What does kindness look like practically in your lives? Well, first of all, kindness looks like scheduling your busy lives to make people a priority. Scheduling your busy lives to make people a priority. Isn't that what David did when he was king for a day suddenly and realized that he had the whole kingdom ahead of him? And the first thing he said is, I'm going to make time to seek to show someone kindness. You know, the thing about random acts of kindness is that, yeah, they, they, they're cool. They're, they, can, they can happen from time to time, but, but planned acts of kindness are the normal way that we show the grace of God to others that are in need. 
But the problem is, if we're too busy to be kind, if we've filled our schedules with so much that we don't have time for other people besides ourselves, uh, then it's not really going to happen. So looking over your schedule, what do you need to change? What do you need to free up? What projects of your own do you need to nix so that you have time to show kindness to your children? Time to show kindness to the widows and orphans in our church. Time to show kindness to those in our midst that it seems don't really have connections and friends. You need to make note of those people and you need to do what you can in your limited schedule and your finite construction to be kind. To extend practical care to others motivated by a deep desire for their well-being. My advice is to begin with the Lord's Day. This is the day that God has set aside for worship and rest and mercy. So we come to worship and with hearts full of forgiveness and compassion, I'm going to challenge you to find some tangible way on the Lord's Day to extend kindness to those in your life who need kindness. Begin with this day. Is there a widow you need to visit? Is there someone who needs food? Is there someone that needs to be shown hospitality hospitality of the Lord your God? So we schedule our busy lives to make people a priority. We also speak careful and caring words. You know, there's an unsettling trend I've noticed. And that trend is that for some reason, especially in kind of the reformed circles, it's becoming okay to say disparaging, harsh and just plain rude things about people. And I've seen it in blogs, and I've heard it sometimes from my own lips. And I wonder, when did it become cool to start to tear people down with words? Now, I know Jesus from time to time was stern. Jesus from time to time said hard things that people simply did not want to hear. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Paul uh, spoke to false teachers and said, I wish you would emasculate yourselves. Those are stern and harsh and bold things. And so I'm not saying we don't say that, but friends, listen to yourself as you speak to your spouse and your kids. Listen to, to how you, you speak to them when you're frustrated with them. Do you just sound angry? Do you just sound rude? How do you need to adjust your speech so that it, it's, the, it's the beautiful welcome and kindness of Christ that is first noted by your kids and your spouse? And I wonder the same thing about the way you speak with the unbelieving world. I, I, I wonder, friends, in fact, I think uh, this is certainly true, that sometimes we are too combative and, a, and, a, and on a fence to really be kind What would your unbelieving friends think when they look at your post on social media? Is the first thing they're going to say is, wow, this this is someone I should approach and ask them about the gospel. Or is it, yeah, I want absolutely nothing to do about this person because they're probably just going to shout me down, probably just going to say some things that that suggest they're not even listening. 
I would suggest that we take more time to to be careful with how we craft our speech to those in our lives so that our words that come out are, are kind first and foremost. Kind because they speak truth, but they speak truth in love. Start with your spouse. Start with your siblings. When you're angry at them, when you're frustrated with them, what do you say? How do you say it? Is it kind? Is it seeking their well-being? Or does it punch and kick and stab and hurt so that you, you, you really make your point? We schedule our busy lives to make people a priority. We speak careful and caring words, even when we're speaking the truth and love. And finally, friends, I would suggest that we train ourselves to think compassionate thoughts toward difficult people. You know, so much of being kind-hearted uh, really begins in the heart, right? It begins, uh, we're not going to, to uh, extend compassion and kindness towards people if what's going on in our, in our head is, uh, is things that tear them down and rip them apart. And so first and foremost, we must train ourselves day in and day out to think compassionate things toward difficult people, just like Jesus did. So we look at the people that we struggle with the most and we say, you know, they're more like me than I care to think. I'm a sinner too. I struggle with the same things they do. Maybe they're struggling with this because of something I don't understand. And so we train ourselves to be compassionate toward difficult people. So when that moment comes, when they're driving us bonkers, what, what, what comes out of our mouths, what comes forth from our hands and our feet is love and compassion and tenderheartedness that says, hey, let me move towards you, not away from you. Let me lift you up, not tear you down. And friends, let me close with this. Never, never underestimate the power of a simple act of kindness done in service to Jesus. Simple acts of kindness. Sometimes those are the very things that the Lord uses to bring someone to repentance. Do you understand that the kindness of your God is designed? What? What does he say? He's designed kindness to lead men to repentance. That's what your kindness should do too. Your kindness should point so much to Jesus that people say, my sin is horrible. I need that savior. Be full of his kindness today. Show it to the world. Turn to him and ask for him to build it into your lives. Let's pray. Dear Savior, we need kindness from the cross, a costly kind of kindness, not one that just here and there peppers our lives with surface level efforts to, to do good things. But Lord, it's actually a kindness that wells up from within us, that is, comes forth from a deep desire to do good and to benefit those who are enemies, those who cannot help themselves. Lord, teach us this from the cross. Teach us this from the kindness that you showed to us so that we're so full of that, that it just spills out of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.